0: like you're all wanting me to say something, so I'm going (laughs) to. Good morning. Um, I actually don't have announcements for you outside of, I know, is this weird? Should I make some stuff up? I could. You like that? A little impromptu moment. We love it when you fill out your Connect card. We love it for those of you that are watching online when you do as well, Um, and you drop those in the basket on your way out if there's anything you want to respond to. But I want to say Happy Father's Day to all of you men in here, and the way that we celebrate here at Brookview is every male, regardless of being a father or not, so the boys in Kids Church, I apologize parents for what's going to happen to you this afternoon, Um, but we have Mr. Goodbars and Big Hunks um, for you in the lobby, and we'd love for you to take that and eat it and just enjoy Um, I saw this post from a friend um, this morning, and I just thought, this is really good, and it's kind of the way I feel, and I was going to try and paraphrase, but I decided I'm just going to read it to you. She says, as I think about celebrating the amazing father I'm married to, that's me too, and I also cherish the father figures in my life throughout the years. They were positive influences when I needed it the most. Some were fathers, but many were never meant to be. They encouraged me, loved me, respected me, and listened to me. They lived out what it meant to be a caring, loving father, and I'm filled with gratitude for their presence in my life. So happy Father's Day to all the dads out there, and happy Father's Day to every man that has reached out to a child when they needed someone, loving them unconditionally, regardless of DNA. You're my true heroes. Many names come to mind of men who are changing the world one child at a time right now, and I celebrate you. And so we are so grateful for those of you that show up and point um, out to our community and to the people that you do life with what the loving heart of a father looks like. And I know that we can't do that perfectly, but when you show up and you do it and you see people, I'm grateful, and I'm so thankful to get to be in community with all of you. So Happy Father's Day, dudes.
1: So Jen's reading of that post is going to be better than this sermon. That was so good. That was really good. Well, happy Father's Day, everybody. For me, um, today is one of those mixtures of kind of, of joy and sadness, and I think a lot, of, a lot of people feel this around Mother's Day as well because um, I have the privilege of being a dad to kids that I love dearly, and I've been fortunate enough to raise them alongside a woman I deeply respect. If, you d- if you're visiting with us, she was just standing here. Uh, and so, the like, me being a father part is really sweet in a lot of ways, but my relationship to my own dad or dads is it's quite a bit more complicated. Many of you know that uh, my parents divorced shortly after I was born, and my dad moved to California, and I only saw him sparingly for many years. But as I got older, we reconnected, and now we have, we have re- really developed a friendship. Um, but he remarried, and my stepmom had Alzheimer's for the last several years and then passed in March. And so my dad, uh, through COVID, cared for her by himself at home alone. And so she was hospitalized there at the very end, and then she passed in March. But he didn't want to put her at any risk, and life was really overwhelming for him in that season, as you can imagine. And so he continually resisted my offer to come and see him in Sacramento. And so I haven't seen my dad since 2019, about a year before COVID, and he's now 80. And as I think about it, I go, man, I don't know how much time he's got left. And so there's some sadness around that. Um, that's my biological dad. The man that, that actually raised me was my stepdad. And so my mom got remarried when I was two. And that man was exceptionally good to me. I, I don't really know why. But he loved me. And I could feel it. Like, you know, as a kid, you can feel it the way, the way that he would look at me. Um, just all the time that he spent with me. So my mom and I moved into his house in Linwood, he had, he had like three acres, and then this house on the, on the end of it, and the property was so big, guys, try to imagine this, he would hit full-on seven irons in the front yard. Uh, that's how big the property was, and so uh, we had this family, we had this house, and it was home, and then when I was 10, uh, we sat down for a family meeting, and my mom announced that she was leaving him and moving to Mukilteo with me. And suddenly, it was like everything was upside down. So my mom and I moved into a, into a condo. It was a different school, different neighborhood. I lost touch with, with my old friends. My stepdad continued to see me as much as my mom would allow. But the whole thing just felt really foreign. Li- like the life that I knew was gone. And many of you have been through this kind of experience, right? The life that I loved was gone and and the way i would describe it is that it just i just felt far from home and i think this is a powerful feeling that i've had in different seasons and it's my sense that every single one of us every single one of us has felt this throughout our lives you feel it when when you you lose the life you love right you lose someone through death or through circumstances and suddenly you just, you feel far from home or you lose a dream, right? The business you started comes to an end or you get laid off or your, your company folds or it's another kind of dream. You wanted kids of your own or you wanted to adopt and it hasn't worked out or it's not going to work out and, and, and you just dream of life going a certain way. Maybe, maybe you dream of being married by now or having success in some way that just, it hasn't come and and when life stills and you stop what you feel is you feel far from home or maybe you are married but it's it's not what you dreamed it would be or maybe you're losing your health or maybe a relationship has gone sideways someone you love one of your kids good friend parent a sibling i think we all know what it is to feel far from home. And home, we talked about this several weeks ago, home is a powerful word. And when we're separated from it, we ache. And it can run strangely deep. Uh, I noticed this a few years back. My, my stepdad kept the house in Linwood for like many years. And so I wouldn't go there very often, uh, maybe just a couple of times a year to, to visit and Mostly we, we would meet up in other places like golf courses, which is awesome. Uh, but every once in a while, when I was in the area, um, even if he wasn't around, I'd just drive by the old place. Have you ever done this with your? And I just remember I would remember my childhood there, right? Like the family we had. And it would just kind of it would just this feeling of I'm far from home. at least not version of home. But for some reason, just driving by and seeing it was kind of comforting in a really strange way. Uh, and then when I was in my 30s, my dad sold the property, and he moved to Pennsylvania. He decided to finish out his life living near some of his family there. And so a developer came in. If you've been around Linwood for a while, you've seen this. A developer came in and built like 15 houses on our, on our property. And I remember the first time I drove by that. Like, it was all gone. And it was just this strange yet familiar feeling, I, like far from home. And some of, you, some of you in here, you've essentially felt that way your whole life because you, you didn't lose a loving home. You never had one. You've had an ache your whole life for something that never was. Or maybe you, you feel it just when you look at the state of the world. Like you see the poverty and the injustice and the hate and all of the brokenness everywhere. Like whatever the source is, there is there's no ache like the ache of being far from home. And it seems to me to just be a, a universal human experience. I think we all feel it. And it finds its origins in a story, you guys, that is thousands of years old, right? So let me highlight some of the like, familiar aspects of this story and then sprinkle in some details that for many of you might not be so familiar. By the way, has this been like the most uplifting sermon you've ever heard in your life? I <laughs> just want to stand up and say, woo. It's going to get better, but not for a while, <laughs> so. Okay, here we go. Here's the story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, so he creates the sun, right, and the moon and the stars. He creates the land and the seas and vegetation and animals, including human beings, and then in Genesis 2, we get, we get a little more detail told so there are springs of water that come up onto the dry ground and from the ground God fashions a human being and God breathes his life breath into him and he comes alive and then God plants a garden in a region called Eden meaning delight and within that garden are many trees but two are very special, right? The tree of knowledge of, the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life and they are in the center of the garden and then there's a river that flows out from the garden and splits into four and God places the human in the garden to work it and to make it flourish. The, the human is to mediate between God and all of creation. Now so this is the act of a priest. That's what a priest is. A priest is God's mediator. Meaning, the garden is, is God's temple. It's his house. It's the place where he lives with humans. And so don't miss this in the story. God desires to live with humans in his house. The place where heaven and earth overlap. And then God splits Adam, meaning human, into two, and he creates Eve, meaning life. And human and life come back together as one in marriage. And then God gives them one stipulation for continual residing in his house. He says, he's like, see the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And they're like, yeah. He's like, yeah, don't eat from it. Because if you do, you will, you'll die. So they can eat from any other tree in the garden, including the tree of life. Eating from the tree of life is, is God's invitation to partake in his divine life. It's God's generous giving of the fullness of life, what Jesus would later call eternal life, or, or maybe better translated, the eternal kind of life, which is not just about quantity of life, but quality. It's, it's the kind of life that you'd actually want to live forever. So let's recap, because this is central to the entire story. God wants to share his eternal kind of life with humans in his house. Like, this is the goal from the outset of the whole deal. And then, as we know, the story takes a dramatic turn, right? Enter the snake. And I have to say, you guys, as a, as a preacher, like pastor, person, I get tired of talking about the snake, Feels like I'm always talking about the snake. And then someone snaps a string and we're singing about Satan. (laughs) Feels like I'm always talking about the snake. But here's the thing: it's really important to the story. He enters the scene and deceivingly influences the humans. He talks them eating into eating from the forbidden tree, and instantly they begin to die. God comes looking for them in his garden because they hid not only from him, but from one another. And when he finds them, they begin finger-pointing, blaming each other and blaming the snake. And God speaks of the consequences of the actions of the snake and the humans, and, in, at, and uh, the end of the scene is described like this. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil hang on to that. That's really important. So death had begun in them when they ate of the forbidden tree and now something is broken within them. But notice this. God is merciful to them by not allowing them to eat from the tree of life. Okay, this is both mercy and judgment. Why? Because they are now broken and dying. And God doesn't want them to be in that state forever. If they were to eat from the tree of life in that state, they'd exist eternally in a state of brokenness and death. So in his mercy, God sends them away and he banishes them. He sends them away from home where death will fully encapsulate them one day. And this is the state of the world. We are broken, right? We are dying. You guys, I have never been more aware of my mortality than I am these days. In January... I turned, anybody know how old? 50. Thank you, 25. I turned stinking 50. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know what that means. I don't know if I'm like at halftime or if the, there's just a few seconds in the fourth quarter. But here's what I do know. I started. You guys, I started playing slow-pitch, low-level recreational softball. And it makes everything hurt. Those of you who don't play, are like, you don't even run or anything. I'm like, I play first base. I'm, so, I, I'm hurting. <laughs> My body can no longer do what it used to. Right? Everything is breaking down. But in this world, it isn't just bodies that are, are broken and breaking down. It's, it's everything. It's relationships. It's emotions. It's all broken. It's all dying. And what we long for, whether we identify it or not, is a return to the Father's house. Where we were designed to live his divine life forever the problem is that the way to the tree of life is guarded right the only way back is to go through the cherubim and the flaming sword you catch that part of the story so cherubim aren't like sweet little angel babies (laughs) they're like warrior angels guarding the tree of life right with flaming swords and to make matters worse, we don't live outside of the garden alone. This snake is out here with us, running rampant. He's spreading all kinds of lies and deceptions, lies that damage people and societies and bring more death. And as the story continues, the good news is that God doesn't abandon humanity. He forms a special people to dwell, to dwell among outside the garden, Israel a people through whom he intends to spread Eden-like life to the entire world. So please notice, though Israel was God's chosen people, they were chosen as an instrument to bring the whole world home. God would call them, and he would begin to dwell with them in a fresh way. He was up to something new. And one stage of this is in Exodus 25, where Moses is on the mountain, and God gives him instructions for building The tabernacle, right? This portable structure where God would dwell with Israel on their journey from Egypt to the promised land. So here's what it says, Exodus 25, verse 8. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. And in the description that followed, the tabernacle would then be fashioned to resemble the layout of Eden. So in the tabernacle, there was a a courtyard, okay? And then as you got more inside, there was a holy place, and then inside of that was the, the most holy place, right? The holy of holies. So the idea was that the deeper you went into the tabernacle, the closer you were to God's divine life and presence. The problem was the people at large could not enter that space. Only the high priest, okay, the meteor, the mediator could enter that space and only one time a year and it was incredibly dangerous so dangerous they would tie a rope around his feet in case he died in there and then they could pull him out can you imagine being that guy it was so dangerous to be in God's divine presence that he could die so what was once a pleasant stroll with God in the cool of the day is now a dangerous venture And the curtain that separated the holy place and the holy of holies had what embroidered on it? It had cherubim. So the priest had to essentially go through the cherubim, past the cherubim. How? Well, with the the lifeblood of a blameless animal. And not only that, when he got to the Ark of the Covenant in the center, it had two cherubim on it, guarding it. This This is all Garden of Eden imagery. So in the tabernacle, all these images are, are from the garden. There's trees, and there's gold, and there's jewels, and there's life, and there's cherubim, and so on. So, so Eden is, is, is the reality that the tabernacle pointed back to. And like the tabernacle, the deeper into Eden you go, the closer you get to God's divine life and presence. So like if you read Genesis 2 carefully, you see that Eden is actually a special place on earth. And then within Eden, God planted a garden where he put humans. And that's where the tree of life is located. The idea is it's holier and more beautiful as you move inward toward the divine life and presence of God. So the portable tabernacle and later the permanent temple, they're designed to represent Eden and the garden. So the Holy of Holies is like at the center near the Tree of Life. Now, what did the Holy of Holies look like in the temple? Well, we got, we got an image here. Can you, can you kill the stage lights just for a sec? Stage lights. There we go. I want you guys to be able to see this a little bit better. So here there are trees with fruit everywhere on the walls, right? And it's just beautiful. But notice the, the presence of cherubim, Right? So to enter the Holy of Holies, the priest would have to walk through the curtain that's over here with cherubim on it. And then also they're, they're next to the ark, kind of protecting the ark. And then they're, they're on the ark. And then they're on the walls with the trees and all the beauty. Why? Because after being exiled from Eden to get into God's life and presence, now you have to pass through the cherubim. These warrior angels with flaming swords, not cute little baby angels. So the tabernacle and later the temple served as God's earthly residence among his people. It was the one place that heaven and earth overlap. Okay, it pointed to the fullness of life with God. You can turn the lights back on. But understand the tabernacle and temple represent a much larger, much more beautiful reality. Both the tabernacle and the temple are are referenced as God's house in the Old Testament. But really, they're designed just to point us back to the garden. Humanity is in need of someone who can lead us back into the Father's house. Because the snake is out here spreading all kinds of lies and deception and death. And humanity is in need of someone who will lead us into the truth someone to enable us to reenter life in the garden, to make our way back to the Father's house. So God took his plan to dwell with humanity to a whole new level. And now we're talking about like the ultimate overlap of heaven and earth, and his name is Jesus. And some of you are like, finally. <laughs> some of you... You've been thinking the whole time, like, isn't this a series about Jesus? Where is this going? And you're angry with me. Stop it. So, okay, here's the scene. On, on his last night before his arrest, Jesus is, is preparing his disciples. He's having his final meal with them in John 13, and they're, they're celebrating one last Passover, right? The Last Supper. So he washes their feet to demonstrate what love looks like, how they are to, if they're going to live his way and follow his way, they are to lower themselves and learn to just serve one another. And then he talks about how one of them is going to betray him and also explains that he's, he's going to be leaving them soon. But they can't come where he's going. So Peter speaks up. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, Where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. This is an intense scene. Now you think about what Jesus is saying from the disciples' perspective. Jesus is like, hey guys, I'm about to go away and leave you. And they're like, what? We've left everything to follow you. For three years, our whole life has been about nothing but following you, learning from you, preparing for something. And we're not even really sure what, because you aren't always that easy to understand, Jesus. But we've stayed with it because we trust you. And now you say you're leaving and we can't come? What in the world? And Peter's like, yo. Okay, all the rest of these losers might not be able to handle like what's coming, but surely I can, Jesus. I'm your guy, right? I would lay down my life for you. So whatever your plan is, it needs to include me. Wherever you are going, you, you better give me the address because I'm, I'm coming with you. If you beat me there, know this, I'm showing up. So they're trying to process all of this. Jesus says somebody's going to betray him. Something big is about to go down, and Peter is going to deny Jesus, not just once, but three times. So the disciples are confused and they're upset, which is why it's no wonder that Jesus follows this with, with some of the most beautiful words of comfort. Chapter 14, verse 1 says, Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. Now listen to this. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. This is Jesus for chill out. Chillax, everything's going to be fine. Okay, that's from the JLT. That's Jason's loose translation. But you you think about what Jesus is saying. He's like, every everything's going to be okay. I'm going ahead of you to prepare a place for you in my Father's house, and there's plenty of room for you. And I will come back and get you. But you don't have to worry about any of this, guys. You already know the way to where I'm going. You know the way in my father's house. And notice Jesus refers to where he's going as my father's house. And so you remember the scene in John 2 where Jesus clears the temple, right? Right? He goes in and there's all sorts of corruption. And he just goes bananas and he makes a whip and starts driving people out. Uh, John 2 verse 16, it says, To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Stop turning this place, this temple, my father's house, into a market. Here, Jesus is no longer talking about the temple in Jerusalem. He's talking about the reality to which the temple points. And it's no wonder that everyone is confused. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Okay, let's pause here and digest this. Dissect this a little. Because the response of Jesus in this moment has caused extreme reactions through history. Right For many people in in our culture, in this cultural moment, this statement alone is enough to just reject Jesus forever. It's just like, who does Jesus think he is? Because I think all paths lead to God. And so, who is Jesus to say that he's the only way? But others have used this statement as like the ultimate trump card, right? This means, see it says right here, I'm right and you're wrong. I'm good and you're bad. His words here have even been weaponized. They've become permission to be hostile. Now others respond with all kinds of confusion. If, if well, what, How does this work? Like if Jesus is the only way, what about everybody who lived before Jesus? I mean, what about Moses and David and Abraham and Sarah? I mean, Moses seems like a pretty big deal in the Bible. And David, like, he wrote all the Psalms and did, like, surely these guys are in the Father's house. What is Jesus saying? And the list of emotional responses to this just goes on and on. But we must remember the context in which he said these words. This is intended to be encouragement. They are freaking out. And he said, no, 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 no. I have words of comfort for you. They don't have to panic because he's not abandoning them. Later in this conversation, he will talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit, the one who will guide them and be with them forever. The goal this whole time has been to reveal the Father's heart, his love, his patience, his grace, his unswerving desire for humans to come home. Jesus is preparing to go to what the tabernacle and the temple symbolize. He's preparing to go back to the garden. Jesus Jesus is the ultimate high priest. He's going to enter the Holy of Holies and only he can do this. He is the one that we've been waiting for, the one who will re-enter Eden on our behalf, who will then reopen the door for us. And how will he do it? By laying down his own life at the sword of the cherubim. Like the high priest, offering the blood of the lamb to gain entrance, except that Jesus is the lamb who offers his own blood. And that blood has thrown the door wide open for everybody, for anybody. I mean, what the high priest did for thousands of years, like the temple itself, it all pointed to a greater reality. Eden and access by the blood of a lamb. The The idea is the father loves us so much, he sent his son out of Eden to die with us because of us and for us. Jesus has thrown open the door to the Father's house by the Father's will. The temple and the priests and the lambs and the sacrifices, all of it was pointing to a final, greater reality. The author of Hebrews says it like this, and this is a confusing passage when you're just sort of reading through the Bible, but when you keep all of this in mind, it makes a lot of sense. The author of Hebrews says, But when Christ came as high priest of the good things, That are now already here. He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, so obtaining eternal redemption. What does all this mean in simple terms? It means that the way home to the Father's house is open. That no matter our flaws and our failures, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be overcome with shame or live in fear. We don't have to be afraid of the cherubim that are guarding the east gate because the gate is now thrown wide open to each and every one of us. Access to God's divine life and presence in the Holy of Holies is not restricted to one high priest. It's open to anyone who wants to be a child of God and go home. But it's all through Jesus. The way back into the garden, like it was guarded by the cherubim, but Jesus has gone through the sword, and now he is the way to the Father. So the lies of of the snake have wreaked havoc on our world, like on our families, on our societies, convincing us to just live however we please, to live by our own definitions of good and evil. And we've been eating from that tree since the fall. But Jesus has come as the snake crusher, as the embodiment of God's wisdom. He not only is the way, but also he teaches us the way. And now through the Holy Spirit and the teachings of Jesus, we can operate not under the lies of the snake, but under the truth of the Son, the Son that has come to set us free. We don't have to keep eating from the wrong tree. We can follow the one who will guide us into what is good, the one who teaches us to love the Father, to love one another, and to even love our enemies. Like this is his way, Amen? amen? Amen. He is the way, and he is the truth. Because outside of Eden, we're dying. Jesus isn't just the way to the tree of life. He is life. When we eat not from the tree of good and evil, when we eat from Jesus, we are filled with life, an entirely different kind of life from anything that we would know apart from it. And it is life that's available now, and it will increase, and it will go on forever. John was given a vision of of what's coming, like the fullness of the return to Eden. When Jesus came, he crashed the garden into our present reality, but it's not fully here yet. John sees what's to come, and this is, this is just beautiful. Last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22. John writes, Then the angels showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, And I'm going to say something bold and not popular in our culture, but central to the gospel of Jesus. No other teacher, no other leader, no other priest, no other king, no other prophet could ever re-enter Eden on our behalf. Only Jesus. His, his exclusive statement is 100% exclusive, right? I am the only way to the Father but it is also 100% inclusive because anyone can reenter with him. Anybody who trusts him and follows him can reenter the garden right behind him. And we all know what it is to feel far from home. We all know it. Jesus came to lead us where we could never hope to go on our own. And that longing that we all have, that sense of being far from home, Jesus has come to bring us back to the Father's house. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus, here's what's frustrating. It has been so watered down, so distorted. So people in our world think that they know it. They think that they've heard it. They think that they know what it's all about. And yet many don't. I mean, for some, the idea is, okay, so, so this is what we do then. We, I, I like, I come forward, or I raise my hand, or I pray a prayer, so that I can go to heaven one day when I die. What Jesus has has done really, really, like really, it begins after death. So what good is it for this life? Well, I guess it it gives hope and comfort, but really that's about it. Like once I I raise my hand or pray the prayer or I get baptized so I, I can know I'm going to heaven one day, like what then? And for many it just becomes something like this. Well, I guess I should go to church probably. And, and try to be a good Christian. And for others, the whole picture of Christianity is just, it's about somehow getting my life right. Being good enough for God to be happy with me. The ultimate question driving the whole thing is simply, how good is good enough? I mean, like, when's God gonna be satisfied? Right, like, what are the minimum entrance requirements for getting into heaven when I die? Gosh, I hope I make it. But guys, Jesus has opened the door to Eden-like life right here and right now. now. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians. He says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. And then hear this. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Right now, right here, in the middle of our very ordinary, very everyday life, when we trust Jesus and follow him, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And we begin to experience Eden-like stuff. This is why sometimes you can get, a, you can get just this strange sense of God's love or goodness right maybe you're you're worshiping at church or you're praying or you're reading something or you're just out in creation and you just you feel god's love or you sense his presence and his goodness and you you can be momentarily transported to another realm what is this experience it is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come and that feeling will fade the moment will end And that's the reality of life outside of Eden. Like if that happens to you and it fades, there's nothing wrong with you. In this life, it will always fade, but it is a deposit guaranteeing what's to come and one day you'll be fully immersed. I mean, maybe the Spirit gives you wisdom, right? Or strength or grace or compassion. Maybe the the Spirit enables you to restore a broken relationship. All of this is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come one day in full. So we, we keep seeking Jesus and asking Jesus to fill us and we keep learning and growing and maturing and we get more and more and more of this over time. This is what Jesus said to pray for. God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom, that Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus is not something that you access by trying to figure out the minimal entrance requirements. In fact, if you, if you only want to do it minimally, you probably haven't seen the beauty of it yet. And that's okay. Just ask Jesus to help you see. He'll be delighted. Okay, one final thought about the way, the truth, and the life. God's God's objective isn't just to get us into heaven. It's to get heaven into us. See, for us to go to heaven and, like, enjoy each other, we have to be the kind of people who are fit for heaven. Some of you, you go to heaven with me, you're going to wreck it. (laughs) Sorry, bro. I'm not going to wreck it for you. I mean, I'm amazing, but... (laughs) Think about it. Living forever in community with other people, they're going to have to be different than they are right now. We're all going to have to be different. God's objective isn't just to get us into heaven. It's to get heaven into us and that, that begins now. We don't just wait till we're on the other side for that to happen. Jesus came to earth as the living tabernacle, the place where, where in his life and in the place where he was, heaven and earth overlapped. He brought heaven with him everywhere he went. He loved the lonely. He gave hope to the hopeless. He healed the sick. He invited lonely people into community. He restored brokenness everywhere. How? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're told again and again in Scripture, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was a living temple. And now, when we trust and follow Jesus, we are filled with that same Spirit. This is what's extraordinary. We become the place where God dwells on earth. You and I become the place now where heaven and earth overlap. You guys, that is crazy, and it doesn't feel like it most of the time, but that is the gospel. When we trust and follow Jesus, we simultaneously become living temples, and we become the mediators of heaven and earth. We become the priests, all of us. In the way Jesus was both the temple and the high priest, we become these very things when we are in Christ. Peter explained it like this. He said, as you come to him, the living stone. So what is Jesus? He is the living stone, stone of the temple. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are now the temple where heaven and earth overlap. You are now a priest, a mediator between God and God and all creation. If you trust and follow Jesus, this is who you are. God's goal isn't just to get you into heaven, it's to get heaven into you. And again, this is not something that we access by trying, determine, trying to determine minimal entrance requirements. We access it by trusting Jesus, following Jesus, becoming like him. Through you, God will breathe life into his world. Through you, Heaven can and does come to earth. And I guess my question about that is, why wouldn't we want all of that that we can get? Jesus said it like this. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. That's quite a claim. This morning we're going to take communion together and in the same way that the temple pointed to a greater reality, communion points to the divine life that we have access to through Jesus. The juice represents his blood shed for us, the blood that gives us passage through the cherubim and the bread represents his body broken for us. And to take communion is, is, to, is to make a simple statement. God, I, I want to participate in, In the divine life that comes to me through jesus so the communion table here is open to anybody that wants the divine life of jesus you you don't have to have taken a class or or you know completed something here it's it's open if you want to participate in the divine life of jesus come and eat and drink and you can come whenever you're ready so how this will work is we're going to spend 20 25-ish minutes in worship and whenever it makes sense for you, you can come and you can stand and, and, or you can take it back to your seat or you can kneel kind of at the front here and just spend some time in prayer, um, spend some time with Jesus. But this is what we're going to do together, and it's an extraordinary thing when you really think about it. Jesus, I thank you for what you've done and the, what, you've, what you've made accessible to us. I thank you for the life that we have in you. I thank you for those moments in my life where I've been sitting in church or I've been somewhere listening to worship music or just out in nature and just had that sense of, of how, good, how good the Father is. That sort of goosebumpy feeling of like everything's gonna be okay and I'm loved. And despite all of my flaws and failures, I'm accepted and I will be healed and made whole. I thank you for those, those moments that I've felt again and again. Moments that are fleeting, but moments that are real and powerful. And I pray for all of us, Jesus, that you would give us more and more access to the divine life of the Father, that you would help us to live in it and from it, and that you would help us to bring heaven to earth in the places that we go. I think about the places that we go, where we work and the families we live in and the neighborhoods where we live. And people are desperate to see goodness and i pray that they would would more and more begin to see it through us i pray that you would teach us to love to love one another to love you and to even love our enemies would you fill us with with life and power and strength that is beyond us amen